What's up, everybody? We are back. Welcome to Real Chronicles, brought to you by TheCinematicGrill.com. I'm your host, David. I'm joined with today. I'm going to save this specific person. I usually go for last, but joining me today, as always, Mr. Hunter Friesen. How are you today, good sir? Oh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm just really happy to be talking about this movie, and I'm super curious to see how this show goes on. It's been the one on the calendar for like months now, and we're finally here. It's the one that I've teased Jack that I'm going to bring people on board that may ruin the podcast, and I've decided what? not to, uh, because Jack may fly over to Jersey and literally shoot me in the head if I br- <laughs> brought certain people on board. But we did bring in special guests, uh, someone that thinks to, I guess, Mr. Renault loves this film. Mr. Luke, welcome back, good sir. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a good day. I, I, I ran a four kilometer obstacle course through the woods, much like Kong does in the movie. <laughs> I was saying, were you going to capture him so, or something? I, 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 I didn't find him, but uh, it got me oh. in the mood for this. So I'm I'm ready and rested, ready to discuss a great picture. And the man who's going to take over in a few minutes because he has, well, we did when Hunter and Jack and I met to list our movies for this year. The first movie that Mr. Renault brought up was Kong's 90th anniversary. So today we're finally here as he has Skull Island in the background. Mr. Jack Renault, how are you? Good, sir. How are you feeling today? It's your special day. It's been about 50 episodes since I first joined uh, the podcast. So a lot has been leading up to this, to say the least. Uh, There are certainly movies we've covered that I have loved just as much, but... I still don't feel like I have a bigger responsibility with any podcast than this one I'm doing today. So let's get to it. For sure. We are going to be celebrating the 90th anniversary of what I first did not consider a horror movie. But after watching the Universal Monster movies, I can absolutely classify this as one. Oh, come on, Dave. King, <laughs> King Kong. Wait, so when we do our horror draft, is this on the board? Then? Yes, it, it is on the board. It is definitely on I mean, the board. I already know who's going to draft it. But yeah. I don't have to worry about yeah. it. <laughs> Although it would be a f- extremely fun snipe. It would, it would, after hours would become irrelevant at this point, the <laughs> Brian snipe. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this should be a fun discussion. Before we get into that, let's get into some of the news of the week. Uh, only have four things on the agenda. First one, uh, I don't really watch much television, but it sucks when a show I like gets canceled. So Winning Time has been canceled for two, after two seasons. Have it? Did any of you guys watch this? Okay, I had a que- I, I I've like seen a lot of ads for it. Is it like a like fictional story of like a real team, or is it like a documentary series about? It's like, essentially the real team? like a. It's turned into fiction at this point. Okay, I was gonna to say because it kind of looked like yeah. it was like nonfiction at first, but it's it's. I wasn't sure. it's half it's and half yeah it's kind of yeah. what it is it's like it's the truth it, but real events but there's the stuff around them surrounding is a little embellished it's essentially like they wrote this on like 45 pounds of cocaine and they up the true <laughs> events to be just batshit crazy I, I thought it was a fun apparently larry bird's a racist and everything and like he's like they basically make him seem like a white supremacist <laughs> It's very, it's oh, yeah, out there, I've, man. I haven't watched the second season. It's yet. out I've only there. Watched the first season. So. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I I did have a great time with the show. You know, unfortunately, with the strike, a lot of some things, you know, are going to be canceled, and this is one of them. So, 
uh, unfortunately. Well, it's not a performer in, in the Emmys or ratings, so yeah. HBO standards. That's True. it. That's it. Yeah. Luke, did you ever did you get a chance to see it? Not about it Luke Doncic, but you know, it was always one that was like, yeah, I'm gonna watch that eventually, and now it's like, oh, probably probably yeah, won't not, watch. Now that it's not a big commitment. <laughs> And the funny thing is, is that the true. show starts with the Magic Johnson AIDS announcement, and then the series ends in 1984, so seven years before the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so sad news there. They, they had a whole four or five season arc planned for that. <laughs> for sure. Uh, next bit, it's a little bit from Tiff News. Uh, shout out to our boy Darren, who kind of said that after Tiff was over, we'd get an announcement of where Hitman was going to land, and it's been purchased by Netflix. Um you saw it, right, Hunter, at TIFF? Yeah. I'll be seeing it in a week. Uh, are you happy with the move, or do you think this plays better in theaters? Oh, it definitely plays better in theaters. That's half the reason it's placed so high in my rankings, because it's like um, the it was like the Glass Onion of this year, where it's like you could maybe nitpick the story here and there, but it's just so much fun that it doesn't really matter, and I think it's a great uh script and performance by Glenn Powell. It's just, it's superstar level stuff. And I think it's like the only indie film you could find there that wasn't depressing. And that was what made it. That's what really helped. Yeah. So it kind of, it found the right market and cause Netflix is cornering, cornering the hitman market with the killer in this. So I guess why not? True. Do you think they hold it till next year? I would think they wouldn't put it till this i wouldn't put it, i mean it's not an oscar player at all so it's already crowded enough this year nice um yeah i'm very excited i'll definitely touch on it when i see it next week uh and then the last two bits of news i think hunter and i mean both jack and luke can touch on so we have uh for the second street year we have a switch in what we thought was going to be supporting <laughs> clean clear-cut winner and she is now going lead uh i see killers this week i believe so i will see if this is a michelle williams in terms of it's really a supporting performance type of deal or not but yeah lily gladstone is going lead um yeah i think she'll be nominated but i don't know about the win anymore jack thoughts yeah no i mean they get to pick where they go and if that's what they feel then yeah i haven't seen the movie i don't you didn't see it uh can did you hunter no, I did not. So I'm still waiting. Sometime okay. this next week or something, I should see it. Hopefully, or they invite me soon. Hopefully. Yeah. So again, yet to be seen, but I do think definitely that road to the win is definitely going to be a bit harder, and it kind of leaves the supporting actors race kind of up in the air at this point. So I I I, I rode a horse last year, and I want to throw a horse that I want to ride on this year. Okay. Depending how the season moves. I f- and yes, I again, I did not think Jamie Lee Curtis was worthy of the win, but I just saw the the narrative there. Emily Blunt, if Oppenheimer is the thing, she does have a scene, and they can get her if it's not a strong year overall and supporting. I can see a world where she can take that win if it's if it's as big of a clusterfuck as it was last year. Uh that would be like insane dark horse in terms of possible win there. But, you know, obviously it's September, so who knows? Uh, and that makes the Oppenheimer case more plausible, which means I will have to watch a lot of movies. Yes. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah. Hunter's doing Tiff. Hunter did Tiff. I'm doing Niff. Um, I have not seen anything and I that makes me question that it's going to be Oppenheimer. I know it's super early. Which, 
which but, is the weirdest thing ever where I'm thinking about it. I'm like, how is this three hour? They don't do three hour movies anymore. They don't do biopics anymore. This is the 80s. This is this is that's when they did this. Obviously, Oppenheimer's amazing. So I'm happy. about it. It feels so weird. For yeah, a movie I, I'm about with this you. early and still be the contender. I'm like, yeah, nobody's like poor things. I think it's the only that's thing it. that's really contending now. Um, but still got a, a few more movies to go. And then, Luke, you f- did you finish the book? I killer. started it. I'm a third of the way through it. Is, uh, is her character supporting she's, or lead? She's the she's like the main character. Interesting. Much. Okay. All right. So that... I guess I guess Leo and De Niro are bigger names, so you put them first in the poster. Uh, but maybe where I get in the book, Leo becomes more central. But so okay. far, it's it's hundred percent her. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then last bit of news: um, WJA is nearing a deal to end the strike. I went to sleep with that um, in my notes, and then I woke up to what AMT, whatever they're called, released in their statement that this is their final offer. Um, do you think this ends today, Jack? We might find out on the podcast. We'll have to see. <laughs> Man, Hunter, what do you think? I don't have enough knowledge to make a prediction like that. So yeah, I, uh, I'm hoping that's all I could say. I, I was on the yes until they release a statement stating it's their final offer. Like they're not going to go back to the table if WGA declines this. So it's yeah, it'll be interesting what happens. Uh, all right, cool. So let's get to what we watched before we turn over to Skull Island. Uh, Jack, you said you have nothing that you want to talk about now, right? Nothing that I'm not going to talk about later. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that specific conversation. Um, Hunter, what do you got? I have watched absolutely nothing since I got back from TIFF. Oh, that's... I have not watched anything in 10 days. That's now. good, though, right? Yeah. Uh, I was gonna say, that's a good, that's a good relaxation. Yeah. Out. Yeah. I, and uh, yes, after 27 movies in, what, six days, I'm just like, purging myself i think i see the creator on tuesday that's the next thing i watch nice and henry sugar is this week so wes anderson's a good way to get back into it and luke do you have anything you want to highlight uh just a few things uh i watched big it was good yeah not nothing too crazy about he did and he did get big uh, which was expected uh then these damn ahsoka clips on twitter made me think it's time so uh, i started that particular franchise again from the start chronologically so i watched uh, the first two and then the clone wars movie and now i'm in the midst of watching the series for the first time properly uh but i did watch them with like a, an additional movie commentary from this one podcast the weekly planet so that made the experience more bearable uh i rewatched the amazing spider-man spider-man 2 october 20th we are waiting for that same uh and then I watched a movie. I watched King Kong with Jack to prepare for this pod. And then Jack suggested we watch another movie, something I had to watch eventually. We both watched House. House, House, which was, uh, I had never seen anything like it. And I seriously doubt I will see anything like it ever again. It was just a spectacular time. Great, lots of laughter, lots of confusion. But confusion is right, my friend. I still had three stars, man. It's not like I'm completely <laughs> negative on it. It's just maybe I told you I'm going to rewatch it. I didn't get to it this morning, but I promise you guys I'm going to rewatch it. How about this, Jack? To force myself to rewatch it, I will buy it during the Criterion sale in November to make sure that it, like I physically own it 
and I will watch Word. it there. Man, I might buy the Criterion at this point. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, uh, you know me, a lot of stuff, uh, but I won't go through every single thing. So I watched the entire Saw franchise because I've just realized Saw 10 comes out this week. Let's go. Um, See, that's like that's like 20 hours worth of what? <laughs> why? That's yeah, what I think. That's a whole it, day. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's raining here because some of them are some of them are shorter. It is raining here the, all weekend, so I really had to, this is the time to do it. Um, I have to ask you about that. I forgot. I like the first one. My second one's fine. I hate the third, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh. Uh, I like the sixth and Jigsaw and Spyro, whatever. So yeah, I, I I if you're gonna give me a horror franchise that has this many entries, just be fun, and none of these are fun. Those ratings check out though. Yeah. So are you are you hyped for Saw Ten then? No, no. When I saw the runtime, well, I that, when I saw the runtime, it, it, I want to see it less now. It's over two hours, so oh, I okay. yeah. What? Um, what? Yeah, I know. Um, nice little '80s horror binge this week. I saw Intruder, which has Sam Raimi, has uh, Bruce Campbell. Uh, the lead character's name is my wife's name before marriage, Jennifer Ross. So that was that was an interesting thing. Fun slasher, insanely fun slasher. Highly recommended. Uncle Sam. Uh, obviously, you can tell what this movie is about. It is about a general that comes back from the dead on the 4th of July and starts doing what he needs to do. Uh, Popcorn, which is a delightful little weird 90s horror film. Um, Pieces. Jack, put that to your list. It is a Spanish slasher film from 1982 and probably the best use of a chainsaw since Leatherface. The body horror is fantastic in that. Uh, Maniac, our boy Joe Spinell, another one that you need to add to your list, Jack. It is very much one of the... I think that's already on my my list. Splendid. So it came out during the video nasty era of the 80s. Uh, It was banned in a lot of places. It is a very, like heavy movie, but some of Savini's best uh, practical effects. Uh, Frankenhooker. It's it's Frankenhooker. It's essentially like poor things in the, in the 90s horror era. Uh, saw Floor and Son. Loved it. Uh, not as much as I enjoyed Sing Street, but I, I liked it. Did you like it? Frankenhooker, Floor, Floor and Son. Son. There you go. What a jump. I have not seen it. No. But I've heard a lot of people who saw it at Sundance and Tiff, I know that really liked it, so happy for that. Finally saw uh Elemental. It's essentially um Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the Pixar version. Uh I liked it. Mm. Didn't love it, but I liked it. Uh I, and then I started New York film. Oh, I saw the creator. Um it is very it's a very it's much more of a grounded character story, but I will say it's you've seen it before. It's the same the script screenplay wise, there's nothing new. It's not bringing anything new to the table. Uh but I I did enjoy it quite a bit. Uh did some John Carpenter watches and then to finish up, I started Nif. So I saw All of Us Strangers, which I really enjoyed for 90% of it. Then the ending uh-huh. happened. The ending. It was a five star movie until the until the last like fifteen minutes, and it went down to four. I, abs- It undermines every theme that the movie is going for with the last ten minutes, fifteen tw- minutes of the movie. I didn't. Uh, I didn't vibe with that at all. Um, I saw the Almodovar short. Uh, yeah, 
it's 30 minutes it's too short i need i need this in feature length it tries to it tries to throw in a lot in those 30 minutes so it becomes a little convoluted um and then i saw the zone of interest which absolutely blew me away i think that movie is probably the most like it's not my number one movie it's still in my top 10 of the year but it's probably a movie that should be shown in history classes because it's it captures it captures a, a version of this story unseen before and i think it captures the the captures evil in a way that we can look at ourselves and just look at you know the fact that this family does everything we do as individuals they celebrate birthdays they go out and picnics they go out and swim and and in the background you're see, you're hearing all these tra- tragedies occur it's it it's it'll make you think a lot and i know hunter you saw it and you liked it as well right oh it's it i think well it was my favorite movie of the year until Oppenheimer, so it's still my number two of the year and i don't foresee i mean it'll definitely be in the top five and i know it makes me sound sick to say it i can't wait to see it again um so i felt weird saying it after because we had this whole conversation after the movie it was like five of us i'm the only one that loved it uh some people that i was with fell asleep other people were just taken back and did not like certain choices that glazer made but that person had never seen a Glazer film before, so it was an, another like, okay, if you know mm. Glazer, you can kind of see this is very much up his uh, his repertoire. Um, I don't, I don't know how this movie gets the best picture though. <laughs> this movie is this is like pretentious art to the max. I hold my hope. Yeah, like it, it could feel like that lone director type of deal, but I, I mm-hmm. yeah, the David uh, Lynch treatment. Ah. Uh, that man has two Oscar noms and none, of, and zero picture noms. Well, he's got Elephant Man. Oh, that's true. So three, you know, he has three Oscar noms then. So well, he has three director nominations. Yeah, he has three for Blue Velvet, Mulholland, and then Elephant Man. Okay, got to get those numbers up, Jack. Uh, and then because of that, I saw the Oscar winner, The Last Days, the documentary about the Holocaust survivors. It's on Netflix. Highly recommended. Uh, probably one of the best documentaries i've seen about the subject matter uh so that's all and then obviously kong which we're gonna talk about now so i'm done jack i am gonna hand it over to you you lead the way going forward good sir take it to skull island fellas the great roger ebert once said (laughs) on good days i consider citizen kane the seminal film of the sound era but on bad days it is king kong now, we can unpack that as we go throughout, but I'll just kind of start off easy and start with you, Dave, because you never get to be asked first. I know, right? When was the first time you saw this movie, and what's been your relationship since? So the first time I saw this movie was at Universal Studios in 1992, 1993. And when I mean I saw the movie, I mean I rode the ride at Universal Studios. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know they just had it playing there. That's cool. And to this day, cool. 30 years later, it remains one of the most memorable rides I've ever ridden in Universal Studios. I hate that that, mo- that ride doesn't exist anymore because of how great the actual animatronic of Kong was on that ride. Um, mm-hmm. The ride itself has nothing to do with the movie. He's just terrorizing <laughs> New York, but not in the way he does in the movie. But it's 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 a great ride. But 
a couple of years later, that was my first experience with Kong. A couple of years later, I saw it, and I liked it quite a bit. I was pretty impressed for with everything that I saw, especially for a movie from the 30s. Uh, I remember watching a tape, and I've talked to you about this, Jack. In like late 90s, early 2000s, they released... Uh, I've I've said this on here many times. I've been to I Love Lucy, Lucio Ball, Desjardins. They bought RKO. They mm-hmm. ran Desilu Studios, and they did a tour of Desilu, and they actually had the original Kong figure in that mm-hmm. tour. So I had recently seen it then, so it was actually cool to have the parallel of seeing the movie and then seeing the actual figurine. But yeah, that was my first viewing of it, and it's progressively grown as to one of my my faves since then, so... Awesome. Uh, Hunter, I know you are the most recent to have come to it, and you had a pretty good experience for a first view. Exactly. Yeah, I saw it. Was It was like late July, so you know, not even two months ago at this point. Uh, we have a theater here called the Heights Theater, which is the oldest theater in Minnesota. Which I think it was built to like 1925 or something like that. I don't know. It's, it's a big uh, movie palace. One screen, just big auditorium and everything. They do all special event screenings. I saw like Inland Empire was in 4K there. They do all their 70 millimeter screenings there. And this one they had in 35 millimeters. So that was insanely cool. And I just to see it in probably, you know, when it originally came out, this it probably showed in this uh, theater as well in 1933 when it came out. So to see it 90 years later here with a crowd of people who would probably seen it before, they were almost all older than me. I was probably the youngest one there. <laughs> but to see it with the scratches in the film a little bit, the sound popping, it was just the full experience of like, this is a piece of history right there. So it was probably the most fun I've had in a screening this year, honestly, in terms oh, yeah. of just the overall experience. You know, and the movie obviously mm-hmm. helps with the fun of it because it's, we'll talk about the briskness of it. This movie is just pure fun. And Luke, I already know your first introduction, but let everyone else know. <laughs> yeah, we we watched this. What is it? I think it was within. The it was last about a year. year ago. Yeah, it was about a year ago. It was a, a colder day, but uh, anyway, uh, I think Jack knew my my love for certain '30s movies, like the the few Universal monster movies, and this has a a, a similar, maybe not vibe, but but it's it's along that trajectory. Uh, and, and I absolutely loved it. Of course, there's there's not much to know about the story. It's it's so ingrained in pop culture that that you just you just know everything happens. I hadn't seen the Peter Jackson one. I'd only seen like the clips of the dinosaurs because you know everybody right. loves dinosaurs. <laughs> watch the dinosaur clips. Uh, but this one was is it's a completely different animal. Uh, I I absolutely loved it. It's 100% entertainment throughout. There's not a slow moment. Uh, Kong is, is spectacular, both in the in just the the way he he's built and his presence in the film. It's it's, it's just, you just want to root for him. And I guess we'll talk about that uh, point. Me and Jack brought up during our recent watch that interesting, but it's it's just spectacular and it's it aged amazingly. And... Yes, and for me, obviously anybody who knows me knows this is my second favorite movie of all time was the only movie to have ever dethroned the godfather is my favorite movie ever i first saw this back in 2015 but i had obviously seen like pictures and stuff prior to and i knew just about like its iconicness i had seen bits of the peter jackson one too so i had never seen that 
So I eventually just found the DVD. I watched it. Um, and it started out just pretty okay. Um, but then I remember, and I'll talk about it later, I remember the exact moment, well, there's two actually, where I pretty much just leaned forward in my seat and it just reeled me back in. And then from the rest of the movie out, it was just perfect. And this is probably the movie that has made the biggest impact on me if we're talking about like a flow chart perspective, because this essentially was the movie that made me want to seek out black and white movies and made me realize like these can be good. Like it's not like, oh, they don't have color, therefore bad. So in terms of me becoming such an old soul in regards to the movies that I love, um, it definitely was a big part. And then just going back and seeing all of these influences in the years since has just really made it something that I love, not only as like an entertainment piece, but just as something I love to look at in terms of the history of film and how much of today's movie making, uh, movie making ideas and what we shoot for uh, is just still ingrained in this movie 90 years later. So hopping over to production, uh, <laughs> there are some other sections I have that go further in, so I'll just kind of start in a broad sense. So this movie had its directors, but the most important person, I think, when it came to helming this movie is Marion C. Cooper. And I honestly don't have the time to go into him as a whole because he honestly deserves his own podcast. He is an insanely interesting individual, but... In terms of Kong, the biggest thing is that he had a fascination of with gorillas as a child, uh, and he was an aviator during World War One. So, wonder where those two ended up mashing up. Um, <laughs> but when it came to the movie's inception, they first approached Paramount, who declined the movie. I feel like they might have regretted it, but I think they. Did they do the 76 Kong? I was going to say, I feel like they produced one of the movies. Let me check. I, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure because the rights for the entire Kong franchise are so scattered. Uh, like Warner Brothers doesn't, I don't think they own the Peter yep. Jackson one. 70, 76. Yeah, so they got it back eventually. Um, the shoot lasted eight months. Uh can't imagine how much time it went into the VFX if we I looked at one of the numbers the T-Rex fight would you like to take a guess of how long that took to edit it's, it to make I'll give you it's three minutes long the scene I'm is three guess, minutes long I'm gonna guess four months they spent almost half the time I mean not concurrently working on that one four months okay yeah six months any guesses Luke well, you told me, so... I did, yes. Oh, I forgot <laughs> I did that, yeah. It, is, it, took seven, it took seven weeks. Three minutes oh, wow. for a, okay. for a, for a okay. seven-week scene. That's. I mean, still a lot. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was also fascinating. I love back in the day, this was during the era where they would kind of have to share sets. So the giant wall was originally built for Cecil B. DeMille's King of Kings, the silent movie back in the 20s. So I've I'm, I'm, yeah, not seen that movie, but... I do want to go back and watch that on my own time. Just to do uh, the DiCaprio point? Be like, that, that's yes, the wall! Yes. That's the wall! <laughs> it's, it's like Dave with, um, I'm pretty sure, like, the psych, did we say the Psycho location was used in Back to the Future, or was it Psycho 2? Psycho 2. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, going to the sound effects, they were done by Murray Spivak, which... Can we just emphasize the fact that sound was hardly a decade old in film at the time of this movie? And the work that's done here, I honestly think, is among some of the best ever. Uh, Kong Scream is lions and tigers, but played in reverse and an octave down. So this is kind of just the same ingenuity that we get to see with like Jurassic Park later down the road with those cool combinations and... I gotta say, all the sounds really worked. The T-Rex were pumas, but those were also, like, adjusted with pitches. <laughs> My favorite, Kong's chest beat was made by Murray Spivak punching another sound engineer in the chest. <laughs> so I can't even imagine how long he had to do that for. <laughs> so, Whatever, Whichever sound engineer he, he hated the most. <laughs> Uh, he was an intern, just like, hey, yeah. we got a job for you. <laughs> Looking now at the other sections here in production, we've there are two other individuals who just deserve their own section because their contributions cannot be limited. First of which is Willis O'Brien, the VFX man. He pretty much revolutionized the visual effects industry just he didn't the thing is with this movie he didn't he didn't exactly like invent a ton of things it was a lot of just combining things a lot of what citizen kane was and so you have the williams process which was in short terms like it essentially was what they used with like the log roll scene so rear screen projection um this was able to have them not do in-camera effects, which I believe actually took more time. Um, and then the Williams process as well was able to further the use of mats, which I got to say, watching this movie, a lot of the mats, except for one, well, there's one mat shot that Luke and I pointed out that we were like, eh, doesn't really hold up. But everything else I got to say, especially with the jungle, it, is crazy. Like Luke, I'm pretty sure Luke, you asked, you were like, where did they film this? And I had to tell you, I was like, oh, it was just a studio. It's not a real jungle. Uh, so the most probably the most difficult shot in the movie was Kong fighting the Tonstrophius in the cave. So this scene required double rear screen projections of Anne and of Anne and Jack. You had two separate stop-motion figures fighting each other. And then you had miniatures. You had matte paintings. You had the smoke that was there. And then you had, like, bubbling mud in the bottom. So oh, wow. that, was, that was the moment that I couldn't, like, I didn't notice that until I saw this in theaters um, right before COVID happened. And that was pretty much the viewing, I'll say, that really changed it for me. Um the stop motion, obviously, still incredible. Some of the close-ups uh, with the animatronics rather than the stop motion, definitely you could argue have aged a bit lesser, but I still think it's great. Um, and the other thing that I think just really kind of... So, something about this movie is just how the imperfections have aged well, like looking at like the stop, like the stop motion fur of Kong and how that ended up being an influence for... Wes Anderson with his and with his stop motion movies. Uh, so yes, Willis O'Brien. I mean, 
we're going to talk a lot more about individual effects later on. Um, and then the other person who we're going to double back to a lot, I'm sure, the grandfather of film music, Max Steiner, composer of Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, The Searchers, all started here. Uh, and Marion C. Cooper understood the power behind it, and he himself uh, went out of his way and paid for the orchestra himself after the studio would not fork over the funds to pay for it themselves. So but I, I, there's an argument there for your later, for, for an MVP argument right there already with it, Marion C. Cooper. Uh, but yes, this is arguably the first truly modern film score, most notably for its use of light motifs. This essentially is what John Williams would later go on and base his entire career off, essentially. Um, and all the themes in here are really freaking good. Uh, i got to ask, um, Dave, what are your thoughts in regards to Max Steiner? I know we've gone on against what we think is his best score quite a bit, but I was really fascinated to have your run back this time. I still, I think it's excellent, but I still prefer Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. Okay, how how would you rank those four that I named? Kong, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, Search. Search was last. I feel like it's top heavy and then and then you drop down and then you kind of drop down to the searchers but then i have gone with the the gone with the wind and then kong and then casablanca and then we have like down there the searchers Mm -hmm. yeah and just gone Uh, with the wind has that iconic theme that that's my thing with that's my thing with gone with the wind i think gone with the wind has it's up there for like the best movie theme but i think the collective score of kong is what really just like pull like pulls me because like Gone with the Wind has a lot of like good music throughout, but there well we're gonna have a music moment category later on and that is extremely heavy for me on my end. Um, looking at the release and rewards or awards. Did you want it? I don't know if you have this for later. Did you want to talk about the production code? I I believe we were saving that for we could talk about the release or we could talk about the release or if you yeah, yeah, do censorship your stuff or yep. okay. do your thing. All right, so the release it was released on April seventh, nineteen thirty three, grossed five point three million on a budget of six hundred seventy two thousand dollars. This movie saved RKO from bankruptcy, and we can already just kind of look here. Uh, if this movie didn't come out for RKO and it didn't save the company. We've gotten Citizen Kane, not in the way that we did, at least, given that they were the only uh, studio that was willing to give full creative control to Orson Welles. Um, Obviously, the movie was a massive hit, so much so that they speed ran the sequel and was released eight months after the original. Dave, have you seen Son of Kong? I have not. I tried to look for it. I did not find it. Yeah, I I don't know if there's a Blu-ray, but I have the DVD of it and... It is a movie. It's I can't say it's like the Jaws 2 because a lot of characters actually do come back, even like Charlie the Cook. Um, but it's yeah, just no, about it, finding Baby Kong. Is that it, what it's you're, about? You're, you're correct. It's kind of cool that it, it literally does pick up like immediately after the events of the finale. So you do have Denim kind of wallowing in the 
all of the implications of what he did in the first movie. So I really liked where they picked up, but eventually it just became really unmemorable for me. So and- you're saying they don't follow the same premise that the 1986 sequel to Kong 76 follows? I I would hope not. <laughs> uh Sid Grauman, the owner of the Chinese theater, sent Marion Cooper a letter telling him that it was the greatest picture he had seen. Which, I mean, at that point, yeah, I don't, I don't know how it, how it wouldn't be. Hey, they had, uh, they had, they had the big movies then, still. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the jazz singer was still killing it. They, they <laughs> <had the> <laughs> it changed the whole game. And then, uh, the Academy Awards. This is back. Even horror still couldn't do it then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were ten nominees for Best Picture. Not one of them was the dearly beloved Kong, despite its long-lasting legacy. Over, I would argue, at least seventy percent of the nominees. Even its winner, which I and Hunter have both seen, and we can't confirm. Is not better than King Kong. <laughs> oh, is, oh no! Is this Cavalcade? Oh no! Yes, it is Cavalcade. Oh <laughs> no! I'm gonna look at one of the other nominees because they're probably they're, all nothing. Forty Second Street was, I think, the one like, oh, I know all that right. musical, so like, therefore, like, the movie is like, sure, I guess, but yeah, I throw that Duck Soup and the Invisible Man should have been Duck in Soup there. Not being there too, like, oh yeah, yeah, okay, so Farewell to Arms, I've heard of that one. I actually heard that's good. Little Women, the first one. Oh, there we go. <laughs> George Cukor, The Private Life, Henry VIII. I've heard of that one, but yeah, so eight, eight of the ten of these I've never heard of, or yes. seven of the ten, sorry. So definitely goes back to show that the Oscars at the end of the day are a product of the time and sometimes sometimes time is the better award than the Oscars. So, back so. in 1933 we would have been the MCU stands getting like King Kong. <laughs> yeah, that that's it. That's no it. Yeah. Movies, no universal yeah, movies, yeah. They look down upon <laughs> us. Like, yeah, that final Weird. performance of Boris Karloff as Frankenstein is a is a product yeah. of 15 years of work. Uh mm-hmm. But they did receive one acknowledgement in the form of an honorary Oscar given to Willis O'Brien. But I mentioned this before in the pod. He honorably declined when he realized that he would be the sole recipient and that his co-workers would not be receiving a trophy for their work as well. Because for something as big as this during the time, I'm... Certainly, sh- I'm certainly sure that was not a one-man job. So, an honorable man to say the least. However, as they usually do in moments like this, AFI made up for it later on. It's currently ranked number 41 on the top 100 of all time, moving up two spaces from its prior ranking. It is the 12th most thrilling movie of all time. The 24th best movie, Passion. With the rare love triangle in action and action. Jack and Kong. The 84th movie quote, granted it's incorrect in what it's saying, was Beauty Killed the Beast, number 13 on the greatest scores list, and number four on the all time fantasy movies. So, very happy with its presence there. And then the National Film Registry inducted it in 1991. So, this was. 
three years after its initial induction. And this, I got to say, was a really good lineup. 2001 Chinatown and Frankenstein also being the significant movies alongside it. Uh, and another fascinating little thing that I guess I can go on and segue this into what's aged the best. This was one of the this was the first commentary track for a DVD release or a like home release. This was on the Criterion Laserdisc, which the first laser with the first Criterion release did not have, but the second one King Kong did. So, yeah, but it could not get a ninetieth. Yes, going into what's aged the. <laughs> <laughs> release it again, King. Release it again, Criterion. Uh, so let's start with Luke here. What do you have for what's aged the best? Um, I think it has to be the VFX. Just like there's, you have a whole, can't have a whole discussion on the VFX, but the fact that everything is real and captured in camera that just it flicks a switch in your brain that when you're watching it, it adds like a whole nother value. Just to bring up a recent example in Oppenheimer, like when you're watching that explosion and you know that they did it for real, it just, just adds a whole whole nother <laughs> level to watching the movie. And I know people have been like, oh, the explosion wasn't actually that good. I'm like, well, you wanted to watch some, some computer simulated thing. It's like, and then you watch... Like a Peter Jackson King Kong, of course, is is very spectacular in the CGI that that they use, but it's it still isn't real. Like you're, you 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 can't trick your brain in that way. And the, of course, it it looks janky. The stop motion, it's 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 even humorous to watch. Mm-hmm. But again, that that real factor adds so much. So, and then another thing that's aged best, just the the general thrill of the whole thing, especially yes. the, the middle and third acts. It's such a perfect, like jungle adventure monster movie. It's just like as soon as you get to Skull Island, it's like here we go, lean in to the to the screen. And uh, I guess in a way, I would say that the 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 rear screen projection, as bad as it may look sometimes, I think it's <laughs> aged well because we still have those problems today. Like <laughs> just every shot of Ahsoka that I see that they use the volume, <laughs> it just looks terrible. Like the Percy Jackson ones using the volume, that looks terrible. And we still can't seem to get like green screen right. You can still see that it's just a com- completely different shot. So I guess in a way we still run into those problems. So I, th- I think that's that's wonderful. Dave, what do you have here? So I have stop motion, Steiner, random quote at the beginning of your films. (laughs) Which I should add is not a real quote. They simply just made that for the movie. But you know what? A real Fargo then. When I I saw that, it reminded me of on social media nowadays when you take a picture of a movie and you just put a random quote that has nothing to do with the actual movie and just post it on. Old Arabian proverb. Uh, Let me see. Uh, The first appearance of a character, just as a whole. Um, (laughs) The fight itself, you guys are... We talked about the New York sequence. I did want to add this because I've noticed when it's done well, it really works for me specifically the emotional weight of a cinematic animal to an audience <laughs> because yeah because like I, I i i tend to be really into the whole if it, if if an animal can draw an emotion to you it you you know really does work uh and then final lines in movie that's an all-timer like it's not even 
close mm-hmm. how how good that is. And yep, that's what I got. Hunter. Uh, yeah, obviously I had the visual effects as well. I think any fault with them is a feature, not really a bug at this moment, because this is yeah. like, a, I don't, I'm not gonna. That doesn't mean this isn't diminished. It's a B movie that is just like you're coming in, you're getting what you want, and you're getting out, which is what I loved about it. it was 90 minutes, and once you get to the jungle, he fights a T-Rex and then a, a flying a pterodactyl, I guess, and then another one. He fights like four dinosaurs. This is why. <laughs> This is my mm-hmm. second favorite dinosaur movie behind Jurassic Park. And the only other one I like because it is just efficient in how it's going, which I really liked. And by the time he gets back to America, he's breaking out. So it's it's this is what is advertised is what is delivered. There is no extra filler in it, which we well, you'll definitely go into why the Peter Jackson movie is three hours long. You're like, really? What? You know. I do think um, I think you'll, you said you'll get into the uh, production code of it. But I said the carnage is like for a 90 year old movie in the 30s i was like Mm -hmm. this is violent and just like people are dying left and right and falling to the ground like bodies and like wow this is something else so i really love that all right uh you guys touched on a lot of what i had i had what's age the best just king kong in general i certainly don't think people were expecting this to be as big of a character that it's become but it's essentially American culture at this point. Uh, building off that, essentially, uh, probably the greatest advertisement for any building ever, I would say. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Empire State Building was, I believe, like two years old when this movie had been made. And now, I mean, them they have a whole section of King Kong posters inside the building. So mm-hmm. they, they they know how how impactful this movie's been. Uh, you, you were going to say something? Still never been to the top. And, oh. I li- and I live here. <laughs> wow. For for how long? Whole whole life. Whole life, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, a day mean... one activity for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll be like when when Jack. Yeah, did Jack? Did you go in the Empire State Building? You went to New York. I, I did not because I had like three he, days. He climbed off. the outside of it. If I had like a week, okay. I was like, I have, oh, I, gotta go. I have no geography geography of New York to know where it is exactly either. So. <laughs> Could be somewhere. Uh, Dave pretty much mentioned this earlier. As someone who's seen a fair chunk of Universal monster movies, this is a really effective horror movie. Um, I would have fought you if I hadn't seen those Universal monster movies last month. It's it's just so shocking, honestly. And we've, I told, I was talking to this, I was telling Dave this before you guys hopped on, but we always talk about the, the time machine movies. Like what movie would you take a time machine to go back to the premiere and see for the first time. This is definitely one of the ones that's really high on my list just for that reason. Um, the Max Steiner score, obviously, uh, specifically, uh, and I actually only just really appreciated this the last time with Luke, uh, the diegetic music. Uh, like, obviously, we're going to have more like the in the music category, but the Nate, the like the native march song when you first meet them goes really hard and then uh like the drum beats when they first realize that Anne was missing on the boat it's just really subtle but it just works so well um the skull island exposition uh that whole dialogue scene where they pretty much just introduce who kong is not in person but they talk about him really effective honestly and I would argue up there with the Raiders scene in the uh, in the classroom where they give him his assignment. Uh, 
the line looks like the night before election definitely has aged really well. And a lot of people that I show this movie to actually laugh at that. So that always makes me happy. And then just the simplicity of the story. I love movies that I can, my favorite old movies are the ones that essentially just have like, in terms of like it's set up and everything just feel like modern still. And so this is definitely one of them just given the brisk pace of everything and how uh, action oriented this is compared to later ones. But let's move on to what's aged the worst, shall we? <laughs> Cause despite my love for this movie, I definitely still have some problems with it and can gladly nitpick at, at it for any time. So uh dave what do you have what's <laughs> age the, worst? The, 19, the 1933 academy awards yes, um, yes i can agree with that native representation yeah we could throw that across all the movies actually <laughs> I, don't I mean just I blankets you, I all the movies because i don't think you blanket statement i don't think any of them really no yeah <laughs> I, I think don't... i think i had said it when i was watching 05 i'm like oh they don't get that right here either um so again this movie's pretty close to perfect with uh, with what it's trying to accomplish so now it's just nitpicking but the entire film crew attempting to hide behind a wall with camera in hand is pretty lol <laughs> not even a wall they were hiding behind like a plant like yeah you could see like the you could probably see like the outline of their clothes like if they're wearing like light blue or red uh, like of course the team was gonna be like what's that um i i oh. I laughed way too loud and I shouldn't this next scene, but trading women like, Oh, like this guy was just like, I'll trade you seven of my women for one of your women. I, I wrote it down too. I don't support trading people, but it was so funny. But us, he would be a terrible fantasy football manager. Yeah. <laughs> Again, do not support trading people or bargaining lives. Yes. It is not good, but <laughs> it is funny. Like, I really the, should not have laughed, man. But I'm oh, like, yeah. especially as a fantasy football player, just like, yeah, this is too funny. <laughs> and yeah, that's pretty much it. It's pretty yeah, flaw-free. Um, Hunter, you, you kind of touched on those. What else? Yeah, I think, well, yeah, you can say... The VFX and stuff age best, worst, but like they had nothing to work with the 90 years ago. What what did they have to go off of too? Like obviously the new King Kong movies can base all their stuff on the old King Kong movies. This movie is making out of thin air. There was no giant gorillas before King Kong. So that's part of it. I think um, the acting is some of them are pretty bad, but which is again a feature, not a bug. I think mm-hmm. the guy who plays Jack is not a very good actor. <laughs> I love I love how bad he is. He makes it so much fun. Every scene he's in is so much fun. So that's fine by me. Um, I guess maybe they were doing this back then as well. But like uh, speed rushing sequels now. Uh, we're oh, getting yeah. <laughs> like getting one whiff of success and then milking the franchise. That's that was. I think there's other movies that did this then. They were making sequels out of thin air then. But they did. We did almost get King Kong versus Frankenstein. So, so they could have milked, milked it in the right direction. Yeah, like <laughs> I kind of wish we would have. I cut different studios, so obviously it wouldn't have worked. But I would have loved a Abbott and Costello meet Kong. <laughs> they really went through every Universal monster, so it would have been fun I, to see. I, I'm glad they made a King Kong or Godzilla movie in the fifth. These have you seen that whatever. hunter i've seen i've I seen clips not. and it looks mad entertaining. oh my god it's it's something 
it's another Jack, we'll it's like this where it's like there's some bad aspects i see on youtube i'm like you know that's the part of the fun though it looks kind <laughs> of crappy but again giant monster bites giant lizard or giant gorilla bites giant lizard i'm not expecting citizen kane here yeah uh luke what did what did you have uh just just two minor things uh jack driscoll is quite the raging misogynist <laughs> yeah okay but the best but the, it was the, he'll, 30s. He'll, the best line in the movie can i just that... go on I, I was gonna say i'll go on and insert this here my first what's age the worst sharing a name with the most sexist character in the movie <laughs> yeah. without fail without fail anytime i show this movie to somebody new for the first time they geek their ass off at the <laughs> white jack you hate women that line uh, never ceases to make that, that line does, is, does make up for it why is, why is that line on the afi honestly it got, <laughs> yeah, um, it got beast when we when we saw the movie that got letterboxed <laughs> that that line got the biggest reaction i've seen in like years at the screening i was at because it's just so funny and she just does it so nonchalantly <laughs> it's so good Sorry, Luke. Continue. Uh, but then the other one—I don't know if this is aged bad or just something that I don't—I'm mad at the movie for. And this has persisted through every Kong movie since, right up to Godzilla versus Kong. How do they get him on the boat? <laughs> don't <laughs> show it. They have like twenty guys on the film crew. How did they drag this big monkey Half onto them are the boat? Dead. I think exactly. Dave, I'll go on and say I think seventy-six might be the worst offender of this because the boat just has like a giant pit. Like on it, that's just built for like they just had nothing. They were like, yeah, we can put the monk, yeah, we can put the gorilla in like the big hole we have. So it's just like I do wonder how did they, yeah, how did they pull him onto the boat? Because you, the only thing you could use is the boat to pull him on the boat, but you can't do that. There's no one's strong enough. Well, they were they moved mad fast with making that first boat, which somehow they oh, all yeah. miraculously were able to stay afloat. Luke and I pointed that yeah. out. It's like, like oh, oh, build build the raft, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, pr- pretty different. much, pretty much on my end as well. A lot of just like funny nitpicking stuff. The first of which, Carl Denham, that gun of his did not look like it was gonna kill anything in that, in, <laughs> anything in that desert aside from like a bird. That muzzle looked so tiny. It looked like he brought like a twenty-two with him. Just hunt some squirrels. Uh, in the Peter Jackson movie, do they ever show how he gets on the boat? Because obviously they got three hours. They can dedicate thirty seconds to it. Don't think so. No. <laughs> they know we spent. Oh. We already spent the first hour thirty on there. We can't uh, yeah. lose the time. I was figuring they would try to plug that plot hole. Uh, but probably like the the only thing in the movie that actually like annoys me, the first like kill. I'm pretty sure. I guess you would say. The dude climbs a tree to level the playing field with the dinosaur. <laughs> He's just like, you know what? I'm going to help you. I'll make it easier for you. Just put, put put you on a skewer for you to eat. Don't even have to reach. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one of the all-timer, like, dumbass. Like, I'm usually not one to, like, nitpick character choices, but that's just one that I cannot imagine somebody making IRL. Uh and then some, just some funny continuity errors. Uh, Jack runs up to the gate twice when he first sees Kong. That's one of my mm. personal favorites. Uh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah, yeah I was going to say, you see him run up, and then he runs up again and then reacts, and you see his face. Oh. Uh, so just moments like that. It never like a, a doc, but always a funny, like, teehee moment that is a nice kind of like, yeah, this ain't, like, all that. So... Into the categories we go, 
And there are some fun ones. With first, the Maurice Jar music moment. I have a lot of stuff written down here, so I probably will have most of your guys' answers, and if not, you just throw it out. So I have written down the opening credits, the ship entering the fog, so when the music actually starts in the movie. uh, Throw that in with the first clear view of the island, the bum, bum, bum. Uh, The native reveal, just that whole, like, Kong Kong song is incredible. Uh, The Kong reveal. Uh, And then Kong versus uh, the snake, I think it is, in the cave. And it's important to note that they chose to restrain the music during the most intense scenes in the movies. There's no music in the T-Rex fight or the Empire State Building scene, so we're really smart with where they used it, so Luke, what do you have for music moment? And like you said, there were a few uh, I could have chosen from just to mention. Bring back the overture. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Into the film. Yeah. If people are running late. They can still make the movie and not miss the opening. Well, that's uh, what Nicole Kidman's for. Oh, you don't get that over you, there. Right? You don't get that. We have another guy. Welcome to the cinema. It's a fun thing. This is, I'll, I'll tell you about it off camera. It's quite, it's quite you have to record it next time. I'll, I'll find the video. Um, yeah. But I'm going to go with the, the Kong's oh. entrance because I just re-listened to it before this and it's just like Max Steiner said, okay, fire all the instruments now. <laughs> and it's just... It fits the the moment well. It's it's, it's the Hunter. What about a, you? A climax of the film, so oh, it's yeah. some fitting music there. Yeah. Mine's the same as well. I have uh, Kong's entrance, where they're banging the drums, and the chief goes stop, and then they all stop, and then it's silent, and you're like, oh shit, here he comes, and the music's going, and then that's and it's the reveal of like the effects and everything, and it's oh uh, that that's like a movie moment right there. First day. So yeah, so you you pretty much touched on everything. The overture when we first hit Skull Island, the first first appearance of Kong, yeah. So yeah, it's a pretty damn good score. I you guys are obviously right, and honestly, you could have picked like any of these, and I would have been happy. But I I just got to pick that first fog drop just because that was the moment when I was young that I was on my phone just kind of tuning in and then that music hit and the vibe just completely changed for the rest of the movie. Uh, a new category to fill in for the lack of casting categories that we pretty much have. Cause as we've pretty much discussed, the human characters are kind of irrelevant in a lot of this movie. The monkey is the important factor. So the best Kong moment Excluding the obvious, because we all know what the real answer is. But once you go past the obvious, there's a lot of good food on the table. So I've written down his first appearance again. The log roll. Kong versus the T-Rex. The cave sequence. Breaking through the gate. And then Kong in New York slash versus the subway. So, Dave... If there's anything I missed, throw it out. But I'm gonna say I kind of really like this the interaction with him and Faye Ray's character. 
like at the in the cave. When, yeah, like, I really, really mm-hmm. like that. Uh, since you're not letting me pick what I want to pick, I am gonna go with that. It's too easy. It's like if we did the social network. Like we'd all have the same scene in mind. So from there, <laughs> you gotta have some variety. Uh, Luke, what about you? Um, maybe not one particular moment, more like a thing that Kong does every time he kills like a dinosaur. <laughs> he checks to make sure it's dead. Like when he kills the T Rex, he like opens the jaw. Like huh? <laughs> when he kills the the lizard or snake, he like flops the 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 neck a little <laughs> bit. Or he kills the pterodactyl. He doesn't even check. He just throws him down the cliff. He's so like, that, that'll finish the job. <laughs> he always, always makes sure he's secured the kill. Hunter. He's a real kill confirmed player. <laughs> uh, mine uh, was uh, the log moment where he picks up the log and he's like shaking it on him. I was like, that's truly a man. Like this, he's a smart monkey too. He knows physics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you see the um the the people falling and they're the just dummies. um the dummies, it's so funny yeah. when they just they smack the ground. It's like, oh, it's it's hilarious. So I think that's my favorite moment with him. He's just toying with them at that moment. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, I, I I'm going with the log roll too. Just mm-hmm. the that's probably the moment where I love going back and just looking at the effects the most. Just the the timing of like Kong's projection moving the log with like the log actually moving IRL. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. how hard that must have been. Uh, and then yeah, like you mentioned, just them dying. It's definitely one of the most like scary scenes in the movie and like i mentioned with the restriction of um the steiner music in like the big scenes in the movie the t-rex and the empire state building the presence like here and like with the scene in the cave uh really emphasize uh, those moments for me best supporting player so like i mentioned there's uh not a ton of strong supporting characters here they're not really the focus uh but i have frank hardy the ship captain um i just kind of liked his presence on the side uh just a perfectly stern presence uh i definitely would have liked more out of him and it's also hard because after like the first three there's like nobody else so luke who did you have um maybe it's because we (laughs) we were making fun and casting our our good friends as the characters while we were watching the movie uh i'm gonna go for i don't have his name but but carl denham oh yes robert armstrong robert yes. armstrong i think he, he he's this classic like a like that nuisance in the film where he's still trying to profit out of everything like a, a villain that that doesn't isn't presented as the villain but you could definitely class him as the villain very much so can can we yeah can can we just go on and say that every other human in the movie who died is because of Denim's greed? Everybody, <laughs> like, I, like, hey, everything I, is I, his I, fault. I, I not, like I do not like Jet Driscoll, but I can also be like, damn, bro, you would not have to like risk your life and all that shit if it wasn't for <laughs> Denim. Like, yeah, like all the log rolls. Like I feel bad for those guys. Like I'm with I'm, New York, obviously. I'm with I'm with Luke. I also have the same. But it's mm-hmm. true, he is the reason everyone dies, including Kong, so... Yeah, this is the one time where I'll side with your uh, central character of a movie, actually a big scumbag and an evil person. <laughs> this, Yeah, this is reminding me of another monster movie about corporate greed or capitalist greed. This is a real Mayor Vaughn situation right here. <laughs> I, was, I was like, this is reminding me. Except Mayor Vaughn. 
is also I don't Carl know, Dental. man. I think I think I think he would have kept that shark. Bond. He would have kept that shark to advertise it for Amity Island. No issue. He would have been like, yo, you know, let's let's put it in a tank. Let's have people swim Bond. with the shark. It'll be fine. Isn't that what <laughs> happens in three? <laughs> or, or something along those lines. It's in a water I, park or something. I would not be surprised if Mayor Vaughn was like Carl Denham's nephew or grandnephew or something like that. It's in the family blood to hunt down monsters and just uh, not give them the time of day, like to consider the danger they have. The sequel should is right there. You just bring someone from Carl Denham's life. If they ever do a legacy <laughs> sequel of this, they're good to go. Uh, miscast. Yeah, can, uh, let me Martino. go. Yeah, here let you me go. go. Here, so, here listen. Listen. So, yeah, she she's labeled as the first scream queen. That's fine. But I don't think she's very good in the movie. Um, so, there was an article that I read on prep for this that Ginger Rogers and Gene Harlow were uh, originally desired to play this role. So, give me Ginger Rogers, and I'd be very, very happy. Just dance around the King Kong. Though. There you go. <laughs> And they end up doing that in, in 2005 with Naomi Watts. So we could have Oh, that's gotten, true. I, for, yeah. I forgot about that scene. But Ginger Rogers in there and then, you know. So, yeah. So, yeah. I guess. Well, I, they, they, yeah. And then in that case, let's recast Carl Denham as Fred Astaire and then we're, we're good to go. Oh, well, don't, you, make me oh. Hate, don't make me hate Fred Astaire. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, come we're on. Not re- we're not rewriting it. That's <laughs> like casting Jack music. Black. <laughs> yeah, they never do that, right? <laughs> Yeah, I gotta ask. Bad idea. Obviously, different movie. Years, years later, from that era, who would you have cast instead of Jack Black? Or do you like Jack Black as Denim? I would need to think think about that. He's fine as the like optimist, doesn't Mm -hmm. think about his consequences, but I just don't think he's very good. I don't don't think. I I don't think this was the right. He's the right character. Like he's great for like a denim type character, but not in King Kong. I would say it's it's not Jack Black's fault. He doesn't nail casting fault. It just doesn't work. He does the best he does. Like I would say that he is definitely not a bad performance. But I do. I don't think he nails. It takes away just in principle. I I don't think he nails the line though at the end. It's, it was yeah. beauty killed the be. I'm like, oh, yeah. it was at the very end when he's doing the line. I'm like, oh, you're sending me out now on the good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you can't, especially with that line. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know who I would have casted then. So. Yeah, I was gonna. I was waiting for what you had to say. I didn't have anything written down simply because like they were all a bunch. So of, they were. Like, I like this actor. I didn't want to put anybody to overtake Kong as the focus. So well, you mean from thirty three? Thirty three. Yeah. yeah. Um, Humphrey Bogart. No, was he even doing movies in '33? I believe I feel so. Like, yeah, but he's not. Um, he wasn't. Was he, he was what, like a bit bit player. I Clark Gable. Carl Denham's, Denham's like charismatic. Clark Humphrey Gable. Bogart really is a charismatic. Yeah, I was gonna say he he would be a better like Jack character. Honestly, he would be the. the oh, sailor Gable would be a great Jack. Gable, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, Charles Lawton or something like See, that. See, and you thought we couldn't cat recast this movie. We just, I we know. just recasted it. Yeah, but the other thing is also like I the my, me, my thing was just I didn't care about finding better performances cuz I don't come to this movie for the performances. Let me tell you, you know how the academy is. You put Ginger Rogers, Clark Gable in this movie, it wouldn't That's best true. I was going to say actually in retrospect what it got yeah. best picture, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so this is where we have the the Mount Rushmore category. 
However, I've been working on these notes for so long that I currently have peaks and valleys written down. <laughs> uh, Keep it going. Please do. So I'll just drop my peaks and valleys and I'm, whatever you guys have on your Mount Rushmore's you can fill in. Um, so for peaks, I had King Kong as a standalone movie. I think pretty much everyone now in the call can agree with that take. I would say... This is definitely on the Mount Rushmore use of New York slash Empire State Building. Yep, I mean, that's that's in there for me too. Yeah, and then the further step, this is the conversation we're going to have to actually have. Iconic movie climaxes. It's in the four, I think, undoubtedly. <sighs> no, I promise you're adding. You're yes, considering no. every single movie ever made. Then at that point. There's a lot of thinking. Final Star line, Wars, yes. No, no, cli- climax. Like, the final, like, big moment of the movie. Kong on top of the Empire State Building. That is an all-timer climax of a... That's why I was like, I put Star Wars in there. I guess, that that's was the, exactly that was, what I said. That was the, <laughs> that was the one that <laughs> like, we were both like, that's Star the one Wars. that, like, is up there guaranteed. That might be the one, though. Yeah. I think that would be number one, Star Wars. I, I, I'd agree yeah, with that. I think, Kong, I think Kong's on the... Well, that was more of a Mount Rushmore statement. I think it's definitely on the yeah, yeah. in the four. Um, and then you already mentioned it pretty much, Hunter. I had it's second place for T Rex. Uh, we all know what the the obvious number one is. Uh, and then valleys. I had movie scores, rear screen projections, uh, the Empire State Building, and then King Kong as well. So, what did you guys have for Mount Rushmore? So New York. Um, stop motion yes yes do you have the other three if you had to think about it right now hmm I'm trying to think chronologically this is the first the wrong trousers has to be. <laughs> honestly, yeah, honestly. I was thinking, does a, does a fully animated movie count? Because like, that's say, a whole Nightmare other thing. Elm, Nightmare Before Christmas is probably up yeah, there. Yeah, that's for I'd me say. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox? I would personally, but I'm not, I was gonna say, I'm I would, not, I would, I'm not thinking about truth. everything right now. Yeah, I was going to say, it, mm-hmm. maybe not the Mount Rushmore 4, but that's definitely like... Like in the like the the elite council of stop motion for yeah. sure. Uh, Hunter, anything on your end? Oh wait, I'm not done um, yet. I have two more. I have oh, two more. Yeah. Um, animals and movies make you making you feel emotion. E.T. Number one, even though it's an alien. That's not an I was gonna say what animal is that? <laughs> uh, I guess creatures is what he's trying to say. Creatures. Um, okay. and then final lines in movie. I think it's definitely top. Oh, top yeah. four. I'd say that. Yeah, that and Gone with the Wind, obviously. Forget um, it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. Hunter? Um, mine, yeah. Uh, I had rear screen projection as well, because after this, we mostly just use it for cars, which is boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's all Hitchcock ever used it for. Projections. That yeah. needs to be a Mount Rushmore. But at least Hitchcock did matte paintings with the I think North by Northwest has a few of those mad paintings. Um, yeah. I said, yeah, movie monsters uh, in terms of that. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Humanizing uh, the yeah, animal, like Dave said. And I think I had um, 
uh, all killer, no filler. Because by the time they capture him and he breaks out of the chains again in New York, it's like literally five minutes of movie between yeah. back out. There is no, and, and, there's, and no, there's like, and there's like ten minutes left, and it's just like all it's literally like action. Forty minutes of jungle, like okay, they got him, and they're like, oh no, he's back out three minutes later. It's like okay, back again. So, which is great because once you get there, you don't want to, you don't want the fun to stop, and they they know that. Yeah, like once you once you hit the fog, like the movie is just on like the rest of the way through. Like there's not a single slow moment. So that's usually like if I if I'll just like run it through real quick, I'll usually just start at the fog and uh, just I, go from I there. Find on the Wikipedia page. Who do you th- do you want to guess, or do you want me to just tell you who Peter Jackson's choices for Jack and Carl Dennett were? Oh, okay, Clive Ooh. Clive Owen. Someone, good. someone in Lord good. of the Rings. I was gonna say, like, I'm trying to think Lord of the Rings now. Well, think, oh, think super, super, Vigo? super basic. Just think what, super basic. What do you go with Vigo? That's what I was thinking for from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Russell, like, Russell yeah. Crow. That's See, actually you, kind of a decent dental. This, I kind of like this answer will make you not because you guys should be the caster. You wanted George Clooney. Oh, it makes <laughs> it does fit no. though. It does mm-hmm. fit. That's what I said. I said it, go basic. It works. Like, it, I, it works. I'm just trying to like, decide if I Clive, like it. Clive Owen would be good, actually. I think, oh, yeah. especially that that era. Mm-hmm. And then for Carl Denham, you'll never guess it because why would you consider this? He wanted Robert De Niro, <laughs> <laughs> which makes no sense. <laughs> like, I don't know. I wonder what his thought on that was. What about Pacino? Robert De Niro. Oh, come on, Dave. <laughs> I was, honestly, Dave, I was fully... Yeah, it was beauty that killed Beast. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. Luke. Uh, I didn't know this was a category, to be okay. honest. Uh, but I would just, It hasn't been in a couple months now. <laughs> but I, I will go off the dome, so I will say I will agree with Hunter. Movie Monsters, I think him, Godzilla, and then maybe like two others. You can, you Shark, can think I of. Guess. Shark, maybe. Um... And then, prob- to be more specific, movie primates, so just like chimps and monkeys. Oh yeah. <laughs> maybe throw Caesar, Caesar, throw Caesar in yeah, there. Caesar. Caesar, oh yeah. Um, Harry and the Henderson. Maybe that monkey is that, that's the, like in every who's, movie. Who's, who's the, and, and, then the, and then the monkey from Raiders of the Lost Ark that betrays exactly. it. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe Islands. Fictional Ooh, islands. Ooh, that's a good one. Ooh, yeah. That's a good one. The Incredibles wow, Island yeah. is on there for me. Easy. Uh, <laughs> what about Castaway that, Island? That so do we count Hoth as an island? That's not an that's island. A, this Where's is the water? Right? It's frozen. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? That's a planet. That's, that's, a planet. A that's his own list. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Wait, uh, an uh, island or the goddamn North Pole? What are you thinking about? <laughs> Uh, and maybe I don't know. Maybe a valley. Characters going ape shit. Did this maybe coin the term? Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, where did that term come from? Uh oh wait. Or... Um Mount Rushmore. Um iconic movies with shitty sequels. Yeah, yeah. With shitty rushed sequels, you can even narrow it further down. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you, what about bad remakes? Well, O five we like, right? We're we're pretty oh, positive. O five O five stock just went crazy. We can. Are you ready to talk about that first? <laughs> yeah, we we will o, talk. O five is a good those. movie, I think. We will talk about those after we finish up this next category here. Okay. 
This one took me a bit to think about who won the movie, the MVP Icebox Award. Um, I've got five names. I think I probably hit all the boxes unless somebody else floats your boat. Marion C. Cooper, Faye Ray, Murray Spivak, Max Steiner, and Willis O'Brien. Well, you got mine. Dave, who, who, who did, who's yours? I was going to go O'Brien first, but then I said this prob- none of this would have happened without Cooper, so I went with Cooper. And then you gave me that amazing story before. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I implore anybody listening, go read into Mary T. Cooper. I, I, he is such a fascinating person. <laughs> uh, Luke, who would you say? Um, I would say the man, the, the ape himself, Kong, is, is my MVP. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. And, and just to bring up something that me and Jack were discussing, we were watching the T-Rex scene, we were wondering, do you think... 1933 audiences by now are rooting for Kong, like, or is he still? Because because now we we know Kong. He's he's this iconic ape. We love Kong. We cheer mm-hmm. when he shows up. But but in 1933, w- were they still horrified by the? Yeah, I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go. I think I I wonder yeah. if by that point they were maybe under the impression that like they that he wasn't maybe gonna do anything to Anne. And I think at this point they also probably saw the T Rex as the bigger threat, so they I also, wanted, they I also, wanted, also wanted the title character to win. <laughs> I also think movies were new at the time, so people really weren't thinking deep thematically at that point. That's so they true. were just taking yeah. everything at surface level. So I can see Kong being the villain until that end of the movie. Yeah, no, I mean, there's one moment like, uh, if, like I'm me, so I already have like. There's early moments throughout that like I'm always like oh, but like on top on top of this Empire State Building, there's one moment like the first moment where he kind of like looks at his hand and sees like the blood on it. And he does a sad kind of like oh, that's the first moment where I'm like damn the man. As they mm-hmm. do throughout the movie. yeah, <laughs> and then he slowly <laughs> reaches the end beneath. Uh, Hunter, what do you have? Um, oh, I forgot one of my Mount Rushmore. I said movie references in Quentin Tarantino movies. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's something else. Yeah, I was gonna say that's from, something from completely else. That's its own. Glorious uh, bastards. Yeah, that's, that's its from own Glorious Top Gun Maverick yeah. or Top Gun yes, I, theory. It's yeah. a whole other theory you could put on this movie, which I'm not educated enough to put that down on it. Nor do I know about the history of the movie enough. So, I but that scene in Glorious Bastards is quite fun because of that. So, um, oh yeah, sorry. Um, what did I say? MVP? I had Willis O'Brien as well because that's what you're going to this movie for. Obviously, mm-hmm. Marion C. Cooper, you know, the person who thought this whole thing and saw it through should be MVP. But I was like, the man who made Kong and his team, I guess, yeah, is really like what what makes this movie live on 90 years later. For sure, I I sat with this one for so long and I just couldn't decide between. I think everybody who I mentioned on top of Kong, uh. They all just like have incredible, um, have left an incredible mark on this movie. However, I realized that all three movies have very effective VFX, sound, and performances of Anne. But I think it's the music of Max Steiner for me that elevates the brute magic and sorrow of this movie more than the others. And I think that this this that this score most effectively uh works at the end of the movie and just it's obvious like 
roadmap to where movie scores have gone since. So, with that the said... Top, off the top ahead. of your head, do you know who did the other two scores? I didn't even, I don't Hans remember. Zimmer. Uh, I was going to say, like, Jake... Really? No, no, I'm just joking. I like think... James uh, Newton-Howard? Uh, James Newton-Howard oh, okay. did the 05, and I don't remember who did 76. I think it was John, was gonna... John Barry who did 76. Oh okay. Is this yeah, the John, John, John Barry? Yeah. Is and it... those are and those are good scores, definitely to say the least. But I think in terms of just evoking the emotions that work the best, I think this movie kind of just does it the most. So. so Jack, you didn't talk about this about the production code and the uh, I... actual physical release of the movie. Do you have anything on there? Because I have a couple of things on that. I. Well, I was going to go into the remakes now, and then okay. I, I was I was going to leave like the fun facts and trivia for like the very end. All right, yeah. So, like, so we wanted to do yeah, no, no, and then talk about no, no, no. Okay. I I want you to cook, my friend, on seventy six. Yeah. <laughs> wait, did Luke? Did you get a chance to see seventy six? Not yet, okay. but I'm sure we at got, some point I, I'll I, have I, to. I would have rathered house anyways. So speaking oh, of, so... <laughs> oh, in case we forgot. In case us bringing it up enough didn't bring it in, this movie has been remade twice. In fact, <laughs> I hey, first we're... came to the Peter Jackson remake before <laughs> the original. Um, so I have since gone back and reevaluated it, and I've got to say I don't have nearly as much issues with that now with the 1976 one in the rear sight. I will say for the Peter Jackson movie, the thing that most warrants that its existence for me is just the fact that he's a student of this movie and that it essentially was the movie that made him want to make movies and that he just had such a big influence from it. And I've even seen interviews with him. He literally owns one of the uh, King Kong armatures that they used back in the thirties. Like they're only 18 inches high or so. And they're what was used to make like the stop motion things. So he really loves the movie. So he let that passion fly. And so I love watching it just to see all of that. Granted, we didn't need an hour and a half on the boat. We don't need to know every individual sailor. Um, and that said, I do think it's pretty well done, especially now in retrospect. Um, so I'll get back to the 76 movie in a minute, but Dave, what are your thoughts on the more recent remake? I, I like it. I, I just think it's one of those, the fact that it takes nearly the entire length of the original to even get to the island mm-hmm. shows how unnecessarily long it is but looking at the time looking what he just did with lord of the rings and all yeah. those movies were nearly three hours so it kind of makes sense that he went that long um i do like it a lot there's i think naomi watts is really good in it and the kong design is fantastic again i wish it was not as long but also thinking about it in a year of 10 i think that movie gets into best picture no doubt i think it oh yeah I think it won like two or three and I think it got into like cinematography and like some other really like stacked categories usually with more like Oscar like bait movies like production design and stuff 76 though my friend yes (laughs) Um, Uh, do you want to go first (laughs) man like I thought that was bad 
the waiting like an hour and 40 minutes to get to Skull Island. However, <laughs> making Skull Island the most boring portion of the movie is probably like the worst thing you could do for a Kong movie. Like the boat, sure, I don't care. We were building up to the main event anyway, which is this mystical island where, like, you never know what could happen. 76 had what? Like, the snake, and that was it? Yeah, and the fact, I mean, do you want to tell Hunter and Luke um, the profession of these men? Yeah, so, of course, in the 33 and 2005 movies, they are shooting a movie and are going there for the location. In the 76 version, they are an oil company going to get Aww. going to get land. Or oil. Now I can't root for them I, at I, all. They're assholes. So now I would like for you to ponder this question. You could reasonably infer what somebody in the entertainment industry might do with Kong, like taking it back to New York, putting on a show and such. What do you think the oil company does once they've captured Kong? What do you think he's utilized for back in the States? He's going to be a giant. He's a giant fracker. He's a fracker. Because <laughs> he, can, he, can, he can push down the fracking thing in the drill. He's strong enough to do it. You don't have to get machines then. Now, if that was, if that was real, I actually would probably have gone pretty high. It's, it's, <laughs> it's still stupid, what we just said. It's still stupid. So even if that's not it. Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, but no, I do have some bright spots with that movie, no doubt. I think you mentioned it in your letterbox review, Rick Baker's effects and performance, in fact, given that he was the one inside of the Kong suit. It's pretty good. I think it's kind of the most, out of those three, the most boring depiction of Kong. Not, not Not because of the suit primarily, but... Also, maybe the least interesting sound design of them, because obviously... (laughs) You nailed it. The 33 version sounds... The 33 version are lions and tigers played in reverse. The the 2005 one is probably something similar, but they also probably had a better access to, like, gorilla sounds and such. This version... And it's even funnier, because I know that this was influenced by it. It sounds like the abominable snow monster from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> so, which I love how influenced the Rankin and Bass were by that movie because they've actually said it in interviews that Kong was like a direct influence, especially to that character. But yeah, man, it just, it was the only one where I kind of, where Kong felt goofy, which like, if it's not like, one of like the Kong versus Godzilla from like the sixties or one of those. It's like, it's tough. And it's also sad because the, the, the producer, Dino De Laurentiis, he of course produced, uh, Halloween. Our, well, that too, I suppose, but our dearly beloved flash Gordon. Yes, he did. Yes. 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not all of his cheese fests work sadly, but I, can't see myself going back to this anytime soon. Luke, you've seen the 05, though. What were I have. what were your thoughts with that? If there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Like you said, it is just just very long, drawn out in places. Compared, I mean, just compared to this one, it is just just 100 percent 
pedal to the metal and and the la- other one but yeah it, it makes sense peter jackson came off just making like the greatest trilogy ever i, th- I, th- I want to say that this king kong was the most expensive movie ever made at the time i feel like at it that moment been. it was that i was gonna yeah, say at it the would, time yeah. Yeah. yeah i think it was and uh you know, he essentially had free reign, and like Jack said, he, he's a student of the film. But I do want to mention—I know it's not, a, it's not essentially a remake, but but Kong Skull Island. I, I think that I really enjoy that one. It, it captures a lot of the the Skull Islandy, of course, because it's just 100% on Skull Island. It, it's, it's you could say it's a Vietnam War movie, changing the, the <laughs> is a little different. It is a little cinematic university at at times, but I, I, it really works as like a standalone adventure film for me. Yeah, I do. So, I I'm I second that. I do like those mm-hmm. too, especially much more now in retrospect. <laughs> uh, and then Hunter, you already gave your thoughts, right? You've seen the 2005 one. Uh, yes, I. Unfortunately, it was my first King Kong movie. Was the 2005 one, not mm-hmm. the original, but I. As someone who likes three-hour movies, this movie doesn't need to be three hours, but I get why he did it, because Jack's Jack's character arc in the movie, the original movie, is he hates women, then the next scene he likes the woman, and he's okay with it. Like, I don't think you could do that in 2005, so you should probably mm-hmm. beef that character up a little bit <laughs> in other stuff. So, I get why he added it. I don't think it worked, though. So, But I think it's, it's like, the original 33 was a pioneer in stop motion and all that this was the the 2005's kind of pioneering mo- motion captures taking andy circus's Gollum and putting on a bigger stage it's it's fun stuff i liked it all right and then we're going to finish up here with some fun facts and this movie has quite a bit of them dave i'll go on and let you cook with the ever so fun censorship stuff of this movie There's yeah so this is this uh the decency rules uh, were put into effect in Hollywood and after the film's 1933 premiere, and it was progressively censored after that, with several scenes being either trimmed or uh, excised altogether. The scenes are as followed. The brontosaurus mauling crewmen in the water, uh, chasing up one tree and killing him. He should have kept that tree one out. I want to see the dumbass mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Kong undressing Anne Darrow and sniffing his fingers. Uh, Kong biting and stepping on native is when he attacks the village. Kong biting a man oh, in New yeah, York. Yeah, he pushes him into the mud yeah, and stuff. He, oh, brutal, that's gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kong mistaking a sleeping woman for Anne and dropping her to her death after realizing his mistake. Uh, an additional scene portraying giant insect spiders, a reptile-like predator, and a tentacled creature devouring the crew members shaken off the log by Kong onto the floor of the canyon below was deemed too gruesome by RKO, even by pre-code standards. And thus the scene was studio self-censored prior to the original release of the film. The oh, footage is so. now considered oh. lost forever. Which, no. which I will say, I don't need it. It's no, a fall, that falls fall, fall kill you anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. Spiders are overkill. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, I was going to say. Not to but mention, it, add I, sphere to Kong by that point, because I don't think... I would, um... Yeah. But they'd only like been dealing said, with dinosaurs at that point. Which sent, yeah. essentially, for me, leads to a big issue as to why this movie I think is not out on 4K and has not gotten a 90th anniversary release. 
because RKO never preserved copies of the original negative or release prints with excised footage, and the cutscenes were considered lost for many years. So pretty much in 1969, a 16-millimeter print has essentially become the print that has been upgraded since then. So we do not have a 4K version. I think in 2000... 12 or 13 there was a blu-ray upscale that was released i that's the one i own and it's not it's it's lacking substantially um i will i did want to add this in 1989 king kong followed the it's a wonderful life don't you dare bring this up so in 1989 (laughs) Turner Home Entertainment, in similar fashion, It's a Wonderful Life, released a colored version of this movie, and it was released on TNT. I kind of want to see this version of it. I have not seen it. it. How bad is it? It is disgusting. (laughs) Like, I saw it. The It's a Wonderful Life one, I will say. It's not bad, man. Like, yeah, like, I can, like, I know people who watch that movie and, like, they clicked on it just because, like, they didn't, like, assume it. And, like, they thought it just looked natural enough. They thought it was just normal. But, like, I've seen others, like, I'm pretty sure it was, like, I've seen a print of, like, House on Haunted Hill and, like, Night of the Living Dead that were colorized. And, like, those, like, yeah, those are kind of just hatchet jobs. Why why would you ever want to watch Night of the Living Dead in color? That's yeah. the whole point of the terrible. movie. Yeah, that was, that's terrible. Um, yeah, no, and just, I mean, th- like this movie, I think more than a lot of movies that were colorized, it just doesn't work. I think the black and white just adds such a mystic factor and just really, like, adds to the atmosphere of the movie, which, I mean, goes the same for, like, all the Universal movies of the time, which, like, I can't imagine a colorized Frankenstein. That would be disgusting. Agreed. Um, Mary C. Cooper worked backwards on this so his original the first vision he had for the movie was (laughs) top of the tallest the world's building and then fighting airplanes he worked backwards from there to develop the rest of the story the movie grows ninety thousand dollars in its opening weekend which at the time was the biggest opening in movie history during the great depression might we add shout out to the people using their bread money to go see the movie (laughs) (laughs) you You go hungry for a weekend but you gotta go see kong gotta see kong it has been said that this is the first hollywood film to use a fully symphonic score the way jack mentioned before uh executive producer david o selznick left rko midway through production of the movie but his last act Still got that credit. His <laughs> last act of business at RKO, probably the biggest contribution to the film, was to write a memo changing the name of the production from Kong to King Kong. Okay. Good good work. Good work. I'll, I'll see like... you over at... Uh, wait, where? Was it? MG, MGM. I think it was MGM right? from here. Cause, yeah. Because he yeah, did yeah, Dawn yeah. with the Wind. Like, uh, wait, after. 2004, Faye Ray died and the Empire State Building darkened its light in her memory. That was I read that that was really sweet to hear that that made me happy. The film was successfully reissued worldwide numerous times. Some claim it was the first ever re-release of any film. In 1938, the reissue that that was released was with all those production code fixes that uh, I mentioned before. Since then, it's had multiple upon multiple re-releases, and Hunter literally just saw the most recent re-release. So this is one of the most re-released movies. Hey. 
of all time. I well, tried probably, probably why that negative is not good. I tried making so many prints. I did try to find and I could not find if it was released around the same time as seventy six as kind of like a double feature type of deal, but I, I was not able to find that. They were they didn't want they saw the the final seventy six <laughs> version like, oh we don't need comparisons to this. <laughs> this is not good. This we is, don't need that. This is the only film in movie history to release in the two biggest theaters in New York City, Radio City Music Hall and the Roxy, which is pretty awesome. The total capacity was ten thousand dollars and sold every sold out every performance ten times a day at both theaters. Each night, ten Kong, times a day. Wow. Each night, the Kong models had to have their skins removed so Marcelo Delgado could tighten the hinges on the metal amateurs. The original print was lost due to poor practice of keeping older films in storage, where many of them decompose. Thank God we were able to keep some. Oh no, dude! I'm so happy. Like, they that there's they always say that, and like I watch like different like videos of like preservation and stuff. They always talk about how like a significant portion of the silent era is just gone, and that like while we it's like oh there's a lot of silent movies out there. It's like nope, that's like a mere like fraction of what there actually is. So. It's it's such an, a movie that I hope to cover next year is. Um... Uh, it happened one night, and sure, if you yeah. look at the Criterion Blu-ray, not even 4K, just a Blu-ray release, how much better it looks in Kong. It's pretty... I, well, well, even still, I mean, that was like a multi-Oscar winning like movie. Like, I I truly wonder like when like the Kong like <laughs> when the Kong hype began to build because it was obviously a smash here at the beginning, but. I mean, no Oscar nominations. I feel like back in the day, that was probably like a big thing with like how well they treated your movie and they kept making the copies. And yeah, that was the case with The Godfather. They were just making so many copies that the negatives turned bad, but they were able to save it. So this one was interesting. While no known theatrical trailers ex- uh, for the original 33 release are known to exist, there are seven minute audio teasers uh, extent bearing the title Kong is Coming. Whether it was intended as a radio spot or lobby attraction is uncertain. The audio is drawn from a disc source and presents several minutes of sound effects, music, and dialogue from the original audio tracks, though not exactly as heard in the film. And the film is described by a very dramatic narrator. The teaser appears to use alternate take of dialogue of the adventures, uh, including Kong roaring. The teaser is available to listen on YouTube under the title Kong is Coming. So if you want to check that out. I'm I'm, I'm checking that out immediately after we get off. (laughs) Originally, RKO wanted to trim costs by not using an original score, so they instructed Max Steiner to reuse some old tracks. Murray and C. Murray Cooper, C. Cooper paid Steiner's 50000 of his own money to get him in. Huge. Um, Massive. And you had mentioned they all were uh, about the sequel, everyone reprising their roles. Uh, I had mentioned Ginger Rogers and Gene Harlow uh, were approached for the female lead and both passed on it. During production, Willis O'Brien deliberately gave false advertising reference to how Kong effects were achieved. He did this to prevent anyone from discovering his stop-motion techniques. In addition, the film was, set cl- uh, was, was closed during production. Uh, Trade secrets. And then the last... Okay, I was going to... Building off that, can, I, I, wanted, I was looking at reviews. A lot of people, too many people, honestly, were thinking that Kong was a man in the, was a man in the suit. It's like up close, probably, but like with a stop motion, what human makes those movements? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
He's like, like the, doing it or this or that, you know? Just, yeah, just like the static, like moving of the arms is just like, yeah. okay. It's, uh, you, you, know, you see him tumble around. That's no person does that. That's the fun of it, though. And then in the re- the other thing in the reviews that they obviously were highlighting the effects. Not a lot of love for Max Steiner, really. No, that not at all. That definitely felt like a later thing to come around, but and I'm glad it did. Cause... This one is interesting. So Marion C. Cooper, when he created Kong, he assumed he owned the character, which he conceived in 1929 outright. Cooper maintained that he had only licensed the character to RKO. In 1935, Cooper began to feel something was amiss when he was trying to get a Tarzan versus King Kong project off the ground. And uh, for Pioneer Pictures... After Osesnik suggested the project to Cooper, a flurry of legal activity over the use of Kong character followed. Pioneer had become a completely independent company by this time, and access to properties that RKO felt were theirs was no longer automatic. This gave Cooper pause, and he came to realize that he might have full control over the product of his own imagination. Jack, how insane is that? Yeah, man. And I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but like the rights issues like continued. Like You had... RKO with this, Paramount did the 76, um, pretty sure Universal did the 05, and then the new Kong movies are Warner Brothers, so yeah, no, the rights for him have been all over the map, uh, and I'm pretty sure, it was kind of along with what you were saying, I'm pretty sure that they had like a novelization written around the same time, that might have come out like before the movie, actually, I feel like they, I remember seeing that that was his first appearance Followed by the movie that came like a week later. Yeah, because so, I thought it was the book, a book first, and then the movie later. But I guess it, it, I, it, I was wrong it, there. It was. I, I know it wasn't like a Frankenstein type book where it was like a very well established like, mo, mo, like character. I know that it was like everyone says it started with the movie. So I guess the novelization just came out like a week before or something. It was by the same people. Guys, quick read spoilers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then last two, originally there was supposed to be an overhead shot of Kong falling from the building. This was accomplished by adding Kong in post-production, falling towards the ground. Real footage of the building was used, but when the producers watched the scene, they realized that viewers could see through Kong, especially as he passed the dark alleges, so it was cut. This clip has been made available in documentaries on the film, but more commonly can be found in stills of the scene. And finally, I had no idea... That this number was that long. Do you know the body count of this movie? <laughs> oh wait! Oh no! Oh god! Wait, he's killing. Does, he's I was going gonna say the, sub, the subway instantly is like probably oh, god, like yeah. plus a few. I mean he he got a new it's player got, right off the subway. Like it's probably like the twenties or thirties, I'd say. Oh, I'm gonna guess it's close to seventy. I'm gonna guess in total. Forty. Okay, oh, I was gonna say he wiped okay. out like half the crew, and that crew is yeah. about like thirty or so, and then a bunch of other people on the side. But that's something. Killed a few natives. Did the dinosaurs count as one? I think so. Okay. It yeah, doesn't really fine. specify everybody, but it it, it did. Oh well, yeah. Body count as forty. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's all I got, Jack. Did I miss anything that you have? Um, the one thing that we discussed, I believe. Um, so this movie. Um, at its first release was initially banned in Nazi Germany. Uh, and oh, be- yeah, I remember we spoke about this. Yes, it was believed to be, quote, 
an attack against the nerves of the German people and a violation of German race feeling. However, this was eventually revoked because man, the man himself, Adolf Hitler, saw the movie and was quote-unquote fascinated by the film and saw it several times, so... The only time I'd agree with Hitler. <laughs> no, no comment. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even, I wasn't even going to say that. I'm like, no, I'm not even going to put that out there. No uh, chance of taking me out of context. And, and, then we, and then we could just, I guess, end with the <laughs> countless number of things since that have been influenced by it. Jurassic Park, uh, Donkey Kong even. Even like I mentioned, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Like just the amount and variety of which things are influenced by this movie really is just a colossal achievement and with that it is complete dave mm. thank you for allowing me to talk about this movie that i love so dearly and i will let you know if it takes over the number one spot <laughs> yeah this is it, it was great to take a back seat here t- today uh this is this is quite the fun adventure uh it's not my number one film of all time, but I'm glad we got to celebrate. And I hope that those that are listening that the, have never seen it. We got five it. stars from you. That's the win I needed. That's the win I needed. For sure. <laughs> um, next week, we are switching over to... Actually, not really, because this will be in conversation next week as we have our horror draft. That should be a fun breakdown and another battle to see who gets the number one pick because I think this should be a fight for it. Um Jack, tell everyone they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd. You can just look at my name. I'm continuing my Halloween watch. Now that I'm done with my Kong Monster Marathon, I'm getting back into other horror movies. So definitely check out what I'm watching there. And Hunter, thanks as always. Oh, yeah, you can find me at thecinemadispatch.com and on Instagram. Doing a, I just did my final TIFF rankings. All 27 movies that I watched there have been ranked. Uh, I'll be seeing The Creator this week and The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. So more new reviews to come out this week. So look forward to that. And Luke. Yeah, you can find me at Luke Reviews on Instagram, rarely on YouTube, actually equally rarely on Instagram as well. But on Letterboxd, I will also be beginning my spooky, spooky, scary Skeletoctober, if you will, with some mostly new watches. So uh, getting some some big ones out of the way. Very excited to see what you have cooking there. And then you can find me at thecinematicgrill.com. I will be currently in the midst of New York Film Festival coverage, so you'll be getting a lot of reviews coming out of there. And you can always find me on Instagram, Letterboxd, all those fun joints. So until next week, see you at the movies, kids.